All right. Good morning. We got Thursday, December 7th. Oh, my goodness. Was it Pearl Harbor Day? Uh, it might be. Uh, it is good to have you here. Thank you so very much for stopping on by the plus. I see many have assembled already before the show even starts. The good mornings, the greetings, the salutations are already happening in the chat. So I wish you a very good morning. And I got to tell you right off the rip, I just took a sip and we are there. That's like the earliest sip of the day in a long time, but it was it's on point. I mean, let's get it right. When it's on point, we want to report that it's on point. There it is, right there. Sip of the day. Hey, it is never like me to say anything in football is easy because it's not, right? I mean, the entire NFL is set up to strip you of your success, to rob you of your good decisions, to make sure players that you used to be able to afford now no longer can be afforded. I mean, football is there. A little hair. Football is there to tear it all apart. Nothing is ever easy, especially rivals within your own division. Look, once we get to 49ers and Cardinals, as bad of a year the Cardinals are going to have, there's always a little something there for the 49ers. They've always got that. And the ultimate example of that team is the Seattle Seahawks, who, by the thumbnail, you know who's coming to town this weekend. It is DK Metcalf and the Seattle Seahawks. And I never like to tell you that beating a team is as simple as just doing one thing. But the more that I look at it, just being honest with myself, being honest with who I think the 49ers are, who they've proven themselves to be time and time again against the Seattle team, based on what Seattle's really got, who they're coming in with, and what it's got going for them, it's as simple as this, Niners fans. You shut down DK Metcalf, you're going to win this football game. It's just really that simple. Um, it It's the, the 49ers have had an easy time with the Seahawks over the past couple of years. They really have. And David Lombardi is all over this. He just looks at this entire matchup through the prism of defensive line win rates. And the 49ers defensive line spends more than two weeks a year just whooping on the Seattle Seahawks. That's how badly they do it. I really mean it. It, it. They have crumbled that Seahawks offensive line in their last four or five matchups. And why would that be any different this time around, especially with Seattle having a three-game losing streak? They're retreating a little bit. Feels like the 49ers are coming on, especially that defensive line since the bye week and the Chase Young acquisition. And everything that could be going right for the Niners feels like it's going right. And a lot of things that could be going wrong for the Seahawks are going wrong for them. And uh, like Lombardi is all over this. The win rates against Seattle up front are overwhelming overwhelming success across the board to the man by the position. So there are two real areas of concern. I think the 49ers are going to beat them at the line of scrimmage. I think the 49ers are going to contain this running game. That means it's a one-dimensional offense already, and that is bad news for Geno Smith. Again, look at all these win rates up front for the 49ers' defensive line, specifically against Seattle. So now it's, well, someone's going to have to have just a monster, monster day. And the guy most likely to have the monster day is probably the monster. And the monster in this instance, waiting in the closet for the 49ers, is DK Metcalf. 
DK Metcalf, he's got a lot of punk tendencies. He is definitely an after-the-whistle All-American. That's when he'll he'll get up in your face and, and start barking at you and shoving you and pushing you around a little bit. DK Metcalf has got those on-field squabbles, but they usually come after the whistle. They come when he knows that people are watching him. He wants as much static as a 49 or as as any wide receiver wants, which means he really doesn't want that much static, even though he is built like Thor. Um he's also a guy who's got a body and an ability. To have a Randy Moss afternoon on you. And that's the afternoon that DK Metcalf just had in Dallas. He went full on Randy Moss. Six catches, 134 yards, and three touchdowns. Like if he had the ball, chances are he was scoring with it. He was taking balls in on slant routes from 70 yards out. I mean, he had a monster afternoon. And outside of that happening, a DK Metcalf played the best game of his career last week, and he follows it with an even better game, that's the only way the Seahawks really got a chance to win this game, to be in this football game. The 49ers are the better team every single where that you look right now. You know, Metcalf is going to average 22, 25 yards a catch. All right, well, there's your problem. So now who's most responsible for this? It's simple. If 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 Moody, and not Moses Moody, if Mooney Ward, sorry, we'll get to we'll get to Moody later. Uh, if Mooney Ward, if Traverius Ward comes out and has a really good day against DK Metcalf, and that is what he did on Thanksgiving, DK Metcalf three catches, thirty-two yards, and didn't score on Thanksgiving. That's why the Seahawks did nothing on Thanksgiving. They do that again to DK Metcalf. Levi Stadium on Sunday could be one of the easier walks in the park that any football team is afforded in a division rival that, again, always plays hard, always plays right. The Seahawks got a real good culture. It's all Pete Carroll. It really is. But they're just banged up in their backfield, and the 49ers have been whooping them in the category that when the 49ers start whooping ass in this category, things change quickly. So outside of DK Metcalf going bonkers, on the San Francisco 49ers, I just don't see, I do not see a path to victory for the Seahawks without the Niners making a ton of self-inflicted wounds. I mean, the path to victory has to be aided by a whole bunch of Niners mistakes. This always brings me back to special teams where, again, Ray Ray McLeod wasn't available. They put Ronnie Bell in. They've had fumbled punts two weeks in a row. Clean that up. I'm always worried about Pete trying to steal a possession with an onside that you don't expect or a punt fake or a field goal fake. Like, it, it, I, I, I know I sound like a broken record when we get to the Seahawks, and I say this every single time, but that is where they are. They're a little bit desperate, and they're a little bit just frisky enough to try something desperate. You know, Pete Carroll does not mind going out on his shield. He will try to win a game, even though when the odds are, he ain't going to win this game. And the odds are, the Seahawks ain't going to win this game. So he's already walking in with basically nothing to lose and a devil-may-care attitude. So handle your business. Don't make the cataclysmic self-inflicted wounds. Uh, protect the ball. Don't Basically, if the Niners don't step on their own dicks, I don't think the Seahawks can step on their dicks for them. There's my official analysis. You're not going to get that on NFL Network, kids. You get you got to come to the plus for that. You're welcome. Again, I, I always hate to boil 
the very complicated game of football down to one thing, one guy. I think we got the one thing, the one guy here. But for DK Metcalf turns into Jerry Rice on steroids, Niners should be good. Niners should be good. Uh, If you are in the market for not just good, but great 49ers content, I want to invite everyone watching right now, please hit like and subscribe, by the way. And if you hit notify, you'll never miss things that you might not know when they were happening otherwise. 49ers wake up 8 a.m. Friday morning. We're doing ones on Friday and on Monday. Pretty much you get two 49ers wake-ups a week now. Yours truly, Larry Kruger, simulcasting across both of our channels. So you don't have to click on anything other than Damon Bruce and the Plus to watch 49ers wake up 8 a.m. Friday morning, the best content you're going to find around the 49ers and a whole bunch of people flocking to us in the last few weeks just cannot be wrong. So I hope you plan on flocking on over and getting up early, early as flock on Friday morning. Uh, maybe here's the thing. Maybe 8 a.m. is not really early for you. 8 a.m. used to be very early for me. You get two kids, and then all of a sudden, you sleep in past 6.30. It's, it feels like a miracle. So that's why 49ers wake up starts at 8 a.m., um, on Monday though, oh my gosh, Jillian's going to be out of town, which means I'm on full on dad drop-off duty. So we might have an eight 30 Monday start, but Friday 49ers wake up 8 AM. Larry Kruger and yours truly will get you ready for the 49ers and Seahawks and the coming NFL weekend better than anybody else. We will also do things like cover the stories around the Niners. And today is a goodbye. And thanks for the memories officially to Robbie gold. Robbie Gold is retiring. He's put in the paperwork. It is official. Um, When everyone was worried about um, um, uh, Moody, Jake Moody, earlier in the year, you know, there was a lot of, oh, call Robbie, call Robbie, call Robbie. Well, I don't know if Robbie ever picked up that phone if he really wanted to. He might have had like a little audition to kick somewhere this year, but it wasn't with the Niners. Niners never came off their draft pick, and Robbie's phone never really rang. And he retires. This is as I mean, this is not an exaggeration. Robbie Gold, one of the best, most successful, accurate kickers in football history. He reti- retires 10th all time in NFL scoring. Uh, that's impressive. Um, he was a longtime Bears kicker. He spent one year with the New York Giants before coming out and becoming a Niner for the final six seasons of his career. And his true claim to fame, and really, you know, if you want to say that the only kicks that really matter are kicks in the postseason, then without a doubt, Robbie Gold is the greatest postseason kicker ever because, folks, he was 29 to 29. 29 to 29 on his postseason field goals spread across eight games, and he he never missed one. You can't do much better than never missed one. So, Robbie Gold, hell of a kicker. We don't usually get excited about kickers. There's no reason to get excited about kickers unless they're doing something wrong. Most of the time, you just assume, yeah, they're going to go out there and do it. Well, with Robbie, that was pretty. That was a really safe assumption to make especially if it was the postseason. So au revoir to Robbie Gold. Um, and au revoir, if you don't mind me saying, I thought we had kind of reached our end of this conversation, but we do have a final footnote on Dre Greenlaw versus Dom the security guard in Philadelphia. I saw today that we do have peace in our time. Well, thank goodness. 
You know, just when you thought the world couldn't get any crazier, we find a little peace. And that's good, I guess, right? Uh, apparently, through intermediaries and John Lynch playing a role in this himself, uh, he brokered a peace talk between Dre Greenlaw and Dom, the security guard. And everything's cool now. Everything's fine. As I've been saying, look, I was one of the first to criticize Dom's and I made fun of him, but I always said that he didn't deserve to lose his job. And I don't think he's going to be losing his job. What he should lose is his sideline pass for the remainder of the year. The same way that the Dolphins photographer who might have been involved in a Tyreek Hill touchdown celebration lost their press credential for the remainder of the year. The NFL yesterday, Wednesday, set out a memo that was basically, you know, put out because of Dom. And uh, the memo said that club personnel are under no circumstances allowed to engage or make physical contact with another club's players or personnel. The league asked teams to ensure that all members of game day operations understand that their role does not extend to being involved with game day altercations. So the Dom memo was sent out. It was a hell of a memo, NFL. And I think that that's where we can officially leave it. We've survived. Peace has been brokered. And there will be happiness across the land of football after all. Uh, week 13 officially comes roaring in. That's probably an exaggeration with the game that you get Thursday night football. Al Michaels, I can already hear him pretending to be interested in this one. Al Michaels has got Patriots and Steelers on Thursday night football. They got to be, I mean, this is one of those games where if you're Amazon Prime, you ask yourself, we paid a billion dollars for this? It's, it, it ain't pretty. It's not going to be a pretty game. 49ers, look, still a lot of football left technically, but they basically can wrap up the NFC West with a win over the Seahawks. I think we all think and assume that that's going to happen. I just gave you the reasons why it certainly should happen. Uh, whether or not this game is interesting beyond how interested 49ers fans in it or Seahawks fans in it, I don't know how much general interest there is in the world of football about 49ers Seahawks because it looks easy to predict. Um, less easy to predict is the lack of status that, again, early season schedules come out and you start looking at every team's schedule and you start looking at, ooh, look at this week. Look at that. Ooh, look at this matchup. Ooh, late in the season. This could really, really affect some AFC standings. And that's what was supposed to be coming to Arrowhead. But the team that's coming to Arrowhead has only won once on the road. And if we really wanted to measure everyone based on what we thought you might be and who you really are, I don't think there's a more disappointing team in football than the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo Bills roar into Arrowhead. Oh, Bills and Chiefs. That's going to be awesome, right? Well, eh, not, not, maybe not. Or maybe, maybe these two teams bring out the very best in each other. But uh, the game's lost a lot of luster, especially with Kansas City just catching its fourth loss of the year. Again, Kansas City's 8-4. and four. That's a very good record. They're a very good team. Buffalo is 1-4 and four on the road. They're 6-6 six and six overall. They're the biggest disappointment in the NFL. Attached to preseason expectations with no, hey, Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles four plays into the year. 
you know, the Jets obviously had big expectations, but we know why those expectations were stripped from them so quickly. There's there's no reason why the Bills should be having the year that they're having. Other than the fact that it feels like the party's over, the magic's over, and maybe, you know, when Josh Allen comes down to earth a little bit, there's no reason to f- throw friends through folding tables and parking lots in upstate New York anymore. Um, it's, 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 it's disappointing. Bills and Chiefs isn't as sexy as it should be. Jags and Browns never meant to be sexy, but could have absolutely drifted into interesting had we had some healthy quarterbacks. But we don't. So that kind of robs us of a good one, which means if you're really waiting for the most amount of drama available on Sunday, the NFL save the best for last. Eagles and Cowboys is your Sunday night football game. Uh, nine and two Eagles team against a 10 and three Cowboys team who are six and zero at home. Cowboys got an offense that is absolutely cooking right now. They've scored 30 or more in all but one of their wins this season. The Eagles, don't have to tell the 49ers who the Eagles are. We, we, we more than cover that going into last week, and the Niners put a big body blow on the Eagles after three tough weeks of football for the Eagles, and here comes a fourth tough week of football for the Eagles. It's a division rival. And remember this, too. The Eagles, I was surprised to, to, to hear this. The Eagles have not won in Dallas since 2017. That was a long time ago. 2017? Despacito was a big deal back. Well, it's been a long time since Despacito was a big deal. Okay, um, not a very good song. Overrated. Justin Bieber attached to it. I, I never really got it. It's an okay song, but let's not go overboard. Despacito, 2017. That's how long it's been since the Eagles won in Dallas. Uh, two Monday night football games. I'm pretty sure we don't need either. We got Tennessee at Miami, although Dolphins are interesting and can be fun to watch. Got the Green Bay Packers, who've become interesting. Jordan Love feeling like he's taking a step forward here. They're at the New York Giants, who shouldn't be allowed on anybody's television ever this for the remainder of the year. I mean, the New York Giants are the hardest watch in football, not named the New York Jets, to be completely honest with everyone. So uh, those are two Monday night football games that we we officially do not need, but will be getting. Oh, great. Mm, it's still strong. Uh, speaking of strong, we always want to give a huge, strong, hearty thank you to the sponsors here of the Plus, beginning with our man, Ike, again, doing all he can to recruit Shahotani to San Francisco. Go, Ike. Keep it up. Um... I want you to get yourself a sandwich at Ike's, and I want you to do it in the next two, three days. If you haven't eaten at Ike's, you're out of your mind. It's delicious. There's nearly 100 stores all available across the West Coast now. And if you open up uh, the Ike's Reward app, you can find out about delivery options near you. Get yourself an Ike sandwich. They're absolutely delicious. And if you want to support me, support my sponsors. And there is no sponsor that supports me more than my man, Ike. 
Dr. Paul is sponsoring Post Game and Damon, and we will have some Post Game and Damon for you starting at the two-minute warning of 49ers and Seahawks on Sunday. And the reason why we get going is because I feel spry on a football Sunday, and I feel spryer than I have in years because all the pain in my knee is gone with his cellular replacement therapy, which is a non-surgical Certainly less invasive than knee replacement, partial knee replacement, partial shoulder, full shoulder replacement surgery. If you have aches, pains, arthritis, go to Dr. Paul. His website is orthopedicsurgeries.com. And if you go to orthopedicsurgeries.com, chances are you could avoid an orthopedic surgery with his advanced medicine doesn't even want you knowing about it, stem cell treatment. I got to Kobe Bryant knees. The Kobe knees, I feel like I could catch five innings. I really do. That's a lie. There's no way I could catch five innings. Um, also want to thank mybookie.ag. You're looking to get in the game this weekend. Want to throw a little uh, interesting, make it more interesting around all the great odds, all the great props. You can find it on mybookie.ag. You can find a full casino waiting for you as well. And you use the promo code DAMON to get a 50% deposit match up to $1,000 at mybookie.ag. So thank you very much to everyone who is sponsoring. Again, thanks to all the new followers, the new subscribers, whether you be joining me via podcast or the YouTube channel. We have seen a tremendous amount of growth in just the last few weeks, and I thank you so very, very much for doing so. Uh, it means you're supporting me, which means you're supporting my family, which means this community rocks. It really is. It really does. I, I, I love you guys. Uh, what do we got here? We got, uh, we got some chit-chatting already going on. The Shaw saying no trap games, need to win out, no more losses, all the way to Vegas. Look at you talking about reaching the Super Bowl. I love it. Look, if the Eagles stumble, the Eagles stumble in Dallas, if the Lions catch a loss somewhere else, and if the 49ers don't lose another game, the road to the Super Bowl could go through the jeans in the South Bay when it's all said and done. A lot has to happen. It's not control your own destiny time. But, hey, do as much as you can to control your own destiny. There's one that could be a problem game really remaining on the schedule, and that's uh, the Christmas matchup against the Baltimore Ravens. But guess what? We don't need to worry about that for a few more weeks, so we're certainly not going to start right now. Um One other NFL story before we turn our attention to a few other places. Did you see that a former Jacksonville Jaguars financial employee is accused of stealing not just a little money out of the uh, rainy day fund jar? $22 million apparently embezzled from the franchise over a four-year period by manipulating a virtual credit card program. We've got documents filed by the U.S. District Court and our hero's name is Amit Patel. And all I can tell you is that, number one, crime doesn't pay. Unless you're getting away with it to the tune of $22 million over four years and the NFL's got so much money they didn't even notice the $22 million gone. I mean, eat the rich. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think I'm rooting against this guy. 
He's accused of stealing $22,221,454.40. He came for that 40 cents, too. You got to respect that. And what did he do? He used that money uh, for some really nice purchases for himself, including a condominium in Point Verde Beach. Uh, he got himself a Tesla Model 3 sedan, uh, cryptocurrency. So he's a, he's an investor. He's trying to you know make something of that money. Uh, he was uh, chartering private jets. You know, you got to have a little fun, right? I mean, $22 million comes across for the very first time in your life. You're allowed one blowjob on a private jet. I'm sure of that. Like, I'm sure Jillian would even allow me that. Honey, I made $22 million. She's like, oh, private private jet blowjob coming up for you, but I'm not involved. She would be like, you, you go ahead, you contract that out. <laughs> um. But good for him, good for his private jets, his luxury wristwatch. Good for him. Good for him. The only thing that I really want to know about this story is the one element of the story that they didn't really provide. How did he do it? And when did the Jaguars really become aware? And how did they catch it after not noticing 20 million slipping out the door? I mean, what did he install? The software program from Office Space, which was supposed to take a little fractions of a fraction, half of a penny out of the penny jar, except they did it all at once. Like, what, what, what the hell went on there? I don't know. I'm not even, uh, look. I'm not even mad. I'm kind of impressed. I'm kind of impressed. Oh, Trent Bulky can't be very happy with this at all. We're trying to run a clean operation here. Larry and I will have some uh, bulky Ralph conversation at the end of each and every 49ers wake up now. The people have asked that that's how that show ends. So we'll have that for you coming tomorrow. It's the NBA in-season tournament in Vegas. Oh, my God. It's the sporting event America never asked for or necessarily wanted or isn't even pretending means anything, but it's here. It's here. It's in Las Vegas, and it's so important to the NBA. This is such a pivotal moment for the NBA that they've got a game that is getting, I see a copy right now, Joe Fortenbaugh with ESPN bet all around him is talking about how this is one of the highest in-game totals since 1991. The, uh, the, the we, we got over under on Bucks and Pacers at 257 and a half. That's a huge number. Lots of offense expected in Las Vegas. And it's going to be such an offensive fireworks show. It's going to do great in prime time, except, except the game starts at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Our time. 2 o'clock in the afternoon, West Coast. It's like, what, because it's an in-season tournament, it's got to have an NCAA tournament tip time. Why not take these games, separate, separate them by a day, and have both of them in prime time? Just throwing that out there. I don't understand it. You got Pacers and Bucks tipping off at two o'clock, prime up two o'clock on on the Pacific Coast, and you got Pacers, or excuse me, you got Pelicans and Lakers. That gets going at six Eastern, so nine o'clock. So again, tipping off too late for the East Coast and too early for the West Coast. 
and a tip-off that's not late enough for the East Coast and way too early for the West Coast on the first game. What are you doing, NBA? What are you doing? I mean, you get all this nonsense pointed towards Vegas and put it on in the middle of the goddamn afternoon. What are you doing? I I don't get it. I just, I don't get it. But all right. You know, there's something else going on in basketball that I just do not get. And what I don't get is what is wrong between Jonathan Kaminga and Steve Kerr? What is going on between Jonathan Kaminga and Steve Kerr? I don't know. But there's clearly something there. Steve, there's a maturity problem that Steve has identified, or there's some practice habits that he doesn't like, or there's some moping beyond the scenes or behind the scenes that Kaminga is guilty of or doing. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get the weird relationship and the you're really important part of the rotation to now you're not even playing in the first half. What is going on in a game where you're getting cooked by inexperienced athletic wings? How is Jonathan Kaminga not getting any minutes in the first half? Anyone else watch that Warriors game against the Portland Trailblazers? Anybody else watch that? Didn't you notice how the Warriors needed to get longer, faster, and more athletic throughout the entirety of the game? But Steve waited till about five minutes remaining in the third quarter before Jonathan Kaminga hit the court. And for a guy who had been benched, he's now closing. That is coaching schizophrenia, okay? That is, you know, I want to send a message here, but then, up, oh, I need this player so much that I'm, he's closing tonight. So can't play in the first half, but you're in the closing unit. That's, that's weird. That's weird. It really is. There is a curious case of Jonathan Kaminga going on right now. I see it. You see it. Now, this goes, you know, to Steve always not trusting young players, and sometimes over-trusting his veteran players. And we know that that's, that's part of it. But man, you got to be in the season that you're in. You can't be coaching with memories and tugging on heartstrings and fond days of yesteryear. Let me tell you, Clay Thompson should be benched for Moses Moody, who's a better player than Clay Thompson is right now. Not all time, not into the uh, not into the uh, history of the franchise, but right now, I would rather see Moses Moody on the court than Clay Thompson, who is a turnover and a missed three, wide open three, over and over and over again. We all love Clay. He is given at the office. He's got a special spot in our hearts. There's a special spot on the bench waiting for that guy. The way he's playing, come on. And that's not a permanent embarrassment. And if going to the bench is a is, is something that Steve can sell to anyone, why he can't sell it to Clay, I really don't know. But man, the Warriors need more than what they got. They are a they are getting painfully old in front of our eyes. Now look, this is coming out of a win. You know, they had a game last night that they could not afford to lose, and they spent most of their game losing it. They rallied at the end, and there were some good things that come out of it. I want to see more Moody. I want to see more Pajemski. I would like to see Trace Jackson Davis. Can we get him in a game? I want to see more Kaminga. And it hurts to say it out loud. It's like ripping Santa Claus. But I want to see less of Clay Thompson. 
You know, he does not put as much on the table as he takes off of it these days. He just isn't. And I know, you know, Bob Fitzgerald to tell you he's playing much better in his last few games. It still ain't good enough, man. You can't put it in a situation where it's Steph Curry and hopefully Andrew Wiggins isn't a total pussy tonight. And that's where the that's 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 the game plan. That's the game plan right now. Now, Draymond, look, he was an assist away from a triple-double against Portland. He had 10, 10, and 9 with two blocks. That's good. Uh, Warriors' muse hit a really interesting statistic. And maybe it only takes Curry hitting a couple of shots to win a game uh, because Curry, he hit a couple of late shots last night. He hit the two that put the Warriors into the lead for the first time. And then he hit the dagger three, which basically ended the night. And the Warriors are 10-2 and two this season when Steph Curry makes at least two baskets in the fourth quarter. They're 0-7 when he doesn't. And that includes 0-2 in games without him. So Curry is... Curry, Curry can't fall into this. We're so dependent. We're overusing him, and he's tired now in the fourth quarter. You, you can't do that. And I just don't know what, what Steve is waiting for in terms of recognizing the clear information that his players are sending back to them, to him. Less of some of these guys, more of some of these guys. How you felt about either group coming into the game really doesn't matter anymore. And it shouldn't matter anymore. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. This isn't a, a, a YMCA game. These the guys aren't getting, you know bananas and orange slices and and at halftime and you know dad and mom come on in we're really proud of you billy this is high stakes i don't have to explain what the nba is to steve kerr of all people it's time for some more athletic youth youthful infusion and in the years past where steve had youth but no real reason to play them because they weren't very good. Like, I get it. You know, you can understand all of that in hindsight. We're looking at this in real time. We're watching Moses Moody trying to become a better player in real time. Jonathan Kaminga trying to become a better player in real time. I want to see Brandon Pajemski get better in real time. He's got scrap in him. I like him. More of him, please. Come on. Going to wrap up with a little baseball news, a little bit of baseball news for you. So the first big name on the uh, hot stove to be flipped is San Diego's Juan Soto. He's been traded to the New York Yankees for a haul of minor leaguers, which sets up a very promising farm system for the Padres. Uh, they've got some really good, young, talented pitchers coming back their way. But let's be completely honest, the Soto and San Diego experiment was a massive failure. It really was. He was supposed to be brought in for three postseason appearances, right? Everyone knows that Boris is going to take his little piggy to market. We all get that. We know how Boris works. But in the meantime, under contract, you bring in Soto and you're going to have three years. Well, after two years, they only had one postseason appearance, didn't make it last year, and now his final contract is going to happen in the Bronx. 
That didn't work out for San Diego. I mean, they had some talent there. That was supposed to be talent together for three years. You know, Tatis, Machado, Bogart, Soto, Snell, Hayter. There's a lot of talent on that team. But man, it didn't fit. Didn't come together. Feels like that Tatis PED suspension just really screwed up everything. And so now with the big name of Soto off the board, all eyes turn to you-know-who. Shohei Otani. San Fran Shohei. The, the, the video's up. Look, I, I mean, he's taken all the tours and has taken all the meetings that he's going to take, apparently, and we are going to be getting a decision, what, by the end of the week? Well, that's technically tomorrow, or it's going to go through the weekend. Does he need more time to think about it? Is there an 11th hour suitor going to try to make a big overture? I I, I need Shohei Otani in San Francisco. I think San Francisco needs Shohei Otani uh, more than Shohei Otani needs San Francisco. But I mean, like this city should kick in money to get him in here. Tourism, people. Interest coming to the city in the summer. That happens with him, without him, maybe not. And that brings me to the other Giants story today that John Morosi said that both the Giants and the Padres are active on a center fielder and they are thinking of free agent Harrison Bader. Look, he's got a good glove. There's no doubt. That's a big center field to patrol at uh, 24 Willie Mays Plaza. A glove of his caliber wouldn't do bad in that outfield. Unfortunately, as a hitter, all he does is bad at the plate. There is no difference between having Harrison Bader in center field or Brandon Crawford. I'm dead serious. I'm de- you think you got your shortstop of the future? If you're willing to sign Harrison Bader, you might as well give Brandon Crawford a chance to play center field because you're adding Brandon Crawford, the hitter, if you add Harrison Bader. Bader's got a 232 batting average last season with seven home runs and a 274 on base percentage. Guess who also had seven home runs and a 273 on base percentage? It was Brandon Crawford, and Brandon Crawford at the plate was unwatchable. So will Harrison Bader be unwatchable, unwatchable at the plate? Oh, he's got a good glove. Who gives a shit? Get some hitters. That's that's seriously. That if Harrison Bader is Farhan's big free agent signing, I mean that would just that 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 would not be good. <laughs> I mean, I can't help you help yourselves, San Francisco Giants. I really can't. Meanwhile, the NL West gets a little trickier. San Diego, or excuse me, the Arizona Diamondbacks, who, I don't know if you remember this, not a lot of people noticed, they were just in the World Series. <laughs> The Arizona Diamondbacks have inked left-handed pitcher Eduardo Perez to a very reasonable four-year, $80 million deal after he opts out of the final year of his in Detroit. Uh, Remember, Rodriguez saw the Tigers try to flip him to the Dodgers only for him to enact 
the no trade clause. There aren't a lot of guys who are about to be traded to the Dodgers with a no trade that say, yeah, I'm using that no trade clause. He didn't want to be a Dodger. God bless him. Um, so now you take Eduardo Rodriguez and you add him to a rotation that already features Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly. That's it's a pretty good one, two, three. So Giants need Shohei Otani. Nothing other than Shohei will do. Again, $708 million, $800 million, $900 million. I don't care how much the Johnson family needs to bleed out of their eyeballs. Fuck them. Spend the money. Sign Shohei Otani. Well, the money's not the only thing he's interested in. Well, put enough money on the table to change his mind about that. Ta-da! Remember... When it is or isn't about money, it's still about money. Eh, Shohei Otani's got an element of character to him and culture about him that's going to prevent him from falling into that way. Okay, and then you put enough money in front of him, and I bet you that gets his eyes to open towards San Francisco in a way that he might have not. Best offer on the table from a competitor is $550 million. The San Francisco Giants are going to give you $1.1 billion. He'll take the $1.1 billion. I'm dead. I'd give him a billion dollars. I don't give a shit. Those beers are going to be expensive at that ballpark, whether they do or don't. There you go. I told you, I'm never going to waste your time. I'm never going to drag you through nonsense that is just nonsense. I don't have to kill four hours. I know you got time that's very valuable. I got some time that I pretend is valuable. Uh, the time that we spend together is valuable, and it's valuable because I do not waste it. That means it's time to hop into Club Plus, see what everyone is chit-chatting about, all the good folks who stop on by, start meeting, greeting, talking with each other before the show even starts. We're going to see what is on their minds, but if you are just listening on the podcast, I'm going to say thank you so very much for doing that, and please do remember that sports don't build character. They reveal it. And like that, whew, He's gone.